The Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 28 and 30. After this was done, Jesus knew that all was now finished. And he said, in order to fulfill the scriptures, and then he said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus received the wine, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In these three verses that are John 19, 28 to 30, the word finished is used three times in three forms of the Greek word telos. It is done, it is finished, it is finished. Three times this word is used both in the verbal and adjectival forms um, to show that Jesus is really finished. This is done. Three times he underscores that his days lived with his feet touching the earth were now over. His times of eating, his times of fasting, his times of sleeping and being awakened by sun hitting his face in the morning, being with friends and family, being alone. Those times of walking in rural fields of wheat and those times of entering Jerusalem when people were shouting Hosanna in the highest. In verse 30, it reads, when he had taken the wine, Jesus said, finished. It isn't even it is finished, just finished. No, Jesus cried out. No, Jesus shouted. That seems so cinematic and so appropriate for the events that we have here. No, like a lot of things, it was just an ending. Finished. In this form of telos that John uses here, this finish is in the perfect tense, but in the passive voice. It's Jesus is truly just putting a full stop on things. It's a period at the end of things. That everything that he has done, everything that he has done in his earthly life is completed. And it's done. I love that in the Hebrew translation of the Bible that the Bible Society of Israel issued, that the Hebrew word that they chose here for finished is nishlam, which is the passive root of shalom. And so Jesus' finishing is peace has been made now. Wholeness has been made now. Yet finished does not mean done. Finished does not mean done. And in setting the stage for our reflection tonight, I want us to think about how we approach Good Friday tonight together, how we're joining at this moment of finishing and what that entails for us next. I want to begin with a quote that I'm going to put up here from Walter Brueggemann, the Old Testament scholar, who in his reflections on how we approach suffering as Christians, he says this, as children of the Enlightenment, we have censored and selected around the voice of darkness and disorientation, seeking to go from strength to strength, from victory to victory, but it is a lie in terms of our experience. The Jewish reality of exile, the Christian confession of the crucifixion and the cross, the honest recognition that there is an untamed darkness in our life that must be embraced, all that is fundamental to the gift of new life. As we're going to hear in the gospel reading that I read for you next, there's work that's being handed off now. And this handoff is going to acknowledge that we are entering to what Walter Brueggemann is calling this untamed darkness in our life 
that must be embraced, that is all about Good Friday. As we move through the events after Jesus' finishing, we pick up the narrative now with John chapter 19, verse 38 to 42. Now after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave permission, so he came and removed the body. Nicodemus, who had come at first to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about 100 pounds. They took the body of Jesus, wrapped it in spices and linen cloths, according to the burial customs of the Jews. And now there was a garden in the place where they, that he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Will you pray with me as we look deeper at this word and we prepare now to move closer to the cross together tonight? Gracious and loving Lord, meet us in this moment of untamed darkness. In this waiting amidst the finishing of all things to make possible all things. Holy Spirit, open your word to us. Renew our minds and our hearts. Take away our hearts of stone. Give us hearts of flesh in our waiting and our wondering and our sorrow and our hope. Illuminate your scriptures for us, Lord, to guide us deeper into your heart. We ask this in your precious and holy name, Lord. Amen. So after Jesus is resolutely finished, we're now left with none of the named disciples no immediate family, only the body of Jesus and two people, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Neither of these men, as we hear from this text and throughout the gospel accounts, are really fully on board. They are um, followers from a distance. And one scholar called them just two half-believers left doing the burying. Um, Joseph of Arimathea, as we hear throughout the text, is someone who has wealth. He was waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God, we hear in Luke's account in Luke 23. And up to this point, he is someone who is committed to the institutions of religion. He was throwing his whole lot into being part of the council, the systems of hope, the systems of the machine that could possibly lead us into some kind of way forward. But he also had fear, as we hear in Matthew 27, fear of getting too close and what that would cost his status and what that would cost him. Similarly, Nicodemus was very shy about his faith, as we see throughout the gospel accounts. Um, he's coming in the middle of the night, as we hear very famously. He's very hesitant about following Jesus. He has this dark encounter with Jesus about being born again or born from above, and then he backs off when he realizes following means also being part of the other followers of Jesus too. Both accounts for Joseph and for Nicodemus, getting too close to the followers may take me out of my social station, may cause my business problems, may cause my reputation problems. Getting too close costs something. So we have two people sitting very far away from the campfire. On the, on, you can see the flickering on their faces all through the accounts. Then at this moment when things are done, the most committed are gone. The most committed have left, heartbroken, sorrowful. Even family have gone away. And yet here we are, the two half-time believers, two cautious souls who are left to do this job that no one could possibly imagine needed to be done. 
What we find in this account that I want us to kind of gather around tonight is it's a story about how real people come to the cross in times of suffering and heartbreak. Something happens to us in moments of sorrow that moves us from the fringes, from the back seat into the front seat sometimes, that pulls us out of our fears, that pulls us out of our caution, and maybe activates something in us because our hope was so deep and so primal that now was the time to do it. Now is the time to activate it. As you look at the cross here in the sanctuary, traditionally draped with black as we get in this mode of the end of Holy Week, I want to notice something about the reality of the cross that we see here and the reality of cross that we're going to be talking about as we move closer to the cross tonight. Like many sanctuaries, our cross is bolted to the wall. It's high and lifted up. It is clean. It is pristine. It shows a resurrected possibility of things. Yet our cross here in the sanctuary, like many crosses in churches around the world, offer one side of the story, literally. We see one side. We enter from the back and we look at it this way. The cross of Christ was on Golgotha. It was on a hill. It was lifted up. You could see it from 360 degrees around it. It was gnarly. It was, it was right there in the middle of things. And people would come and could see this cross from a lot of different directions and a lot of different ways. Can your eyes refocus tonight and think about different ways of approaching this cross that people are trying to get to tonight? All around this world, hoping to get access to what God has done for our sake. And so tonight I want to consider three ways that people find themselves at the foot of the cross Three ways that oftentimes people move. And these ways are going to be letting go of things, they're going to be illumination, and they're going to be seeking of union. And I want to begin first with this idea of what's called purgation or of letting go of everything. Purgation is kind of a fancy word. It's a theological term about emptying, about letting go and removing ourselves from that which bears us from possibility. But essentially what is happening with people coming to the cross first and foremost is a need to let go of what hinders them, what holds them back. Joseph of Arimathea had fears. As we see in this passage, despite his fears, he moved forward to take the body of Christ and move to whatever came next. We hear in this account that Joseph of Arimathea interceded earlier with Pilate and prevents Jesus from being thrown into a mass grave, a nameless grave, and risks himself and his wealth by purchasing space for Jesus' body in this tomb. Similarly, Nicodemus, as we hear, has moved now from the fringes of things to buying 100 pounds of spices. This is just a huge amount that he has purchased to fill this space with aromas, so fragrant, as we're going to see later, it turns a graveyard literally into smelling like a garden again. Making space and letting go of what hinders us from coming to the cross is hard work. It is difficult work, particularly when we go through seasons of loss and of disappointment and hardening that make it hard to embrace what God has in store. But what the cross teaches us in this moment is that as much as we think of the Christian life as a life of accumulation, more experiences, more events, more lessons and learning, it is also largely about excavation, making more and more room for the Holy Spirit in our lives to equip us and move us into the life that Jesus has walked for us. 
For early Christians, they spoke of this movement of making space purgation as coming in both active and passive ways. Actively letting go means we know something is blocking our access to God. There's something in our life that's blocking it, and we know it. And we've come either in our bodies or in our minds, we know something needs to change. Actively letting go is making a decision tonight to lay down those things that are preventing you from having access to what God has in store. Passive loss or passive letting go are the times when the world changes and we didn't ask for it. A car crash, not getting into the college we chose, getting a cancer diagnosis, losing a loved one too soon, a divorce, losing our job, uncertainty all around us. These are all examples of things that just hit us like a lightning bolt out of nowhere, disable us, take us away from all that confidence that we may have had going through our day and leave us absolutely shipwrecked in our lives. Passive letting go means we admit the fact that our life has been knocked off center. Something has gone wrong. And the things we're grabbing to stabilize just aren't working, just aren't working anymore. For you tonight, there may be a place for you to actively acknowledge you need to lay something down because things are finished now. And yet to lay them down means to access the possibility of new things. There may be events that happen, passive things in your life you didn't want to happen. And tonight may be the night to lay those down as well. So let me ask you this. What is the Lord calling you to let go of tonight? What is being finished for you? What is the ending that perhaps you are sitting with and afraid to lay that body in the tomb once and for all? Take a moment to consider what active and passive acts of purgation letting go you need to do tonight to declare it is finished once and for all. A second movement is the movement of illumination. When we've let go of things, we then see reality, see reality. When we make space in our lives, it clears things out. We can see more clearly of what's before us. For some, ascending the hill, seeing the cross, coming to this tomb, they are drawn because their eyes and hearts are now fully and completely wide awake. They are open. They're no longer asleep in their lives, but they're awake to the things that God is doing for them. Like when we adjust our eyes in a dark and cluttered place, but then we slowly get adjusted to the space, we begin to see reality. And the cross calls us to see reality in our lives. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus come to this tomb to bury a body, but also to bury everything that once held their lives together. They see clearly now what has happened, and yet they also see with the events of the death of Jesus. They see that the things that have held them back are not enough for them to move forward. They have to let go. They have to move. And they see crystal clear, whether it's their money, whether it's their prestige, whether it's the groups they move in, are not enough to hold them back for what Christ wants to offer. They see clearly. And seeing clearly always comes at a cost. Joseph of Marathia and Nicodemus sees something clearly that is beyond it is finished. It has taken them to this tomb in this moment. Unlike others who retreated from the spectacle of the crucifixion, the cheering and the screaming, here in the quiet of a grave, they can now see everything that was and have nothing to look at but this moment. Not the past, not the future, the present is what remains. 
St. Augustine, in his Confessions, in the 10th book of the Confessions, which was his autobiography, he talks about being present as the hardest space for you and I to live, to be fully present in a moment. We're obsessed with the past, we're obsessed with the future, but being fully now in front of each other, in our moment, in our bodies, is really, really hard. We think about this in the context of the three great Christian virtues that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13 that shared in so many weddings. Uh, For now I see through a mirror darkly, but then face to face. And now I know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. But these three, but the greatest of these is love. Augustine, when he reflects on this, underscores that faith is a thing of the past. It's things we rely on. It's the truth of God's provision for us that got us to this point. Vitally important. The faith of our fathers, the communion of saints. Hope is that straining for the future. Because without it, why do we go on? The hope tells us where we're going and why every day can be lived. But love, the greatest of these, is a present reality. It is a fruit that is ripe and it needs to be eaten today to take, to take in, to be part of your life. So as you sit here on Good Friday, another question to ask. What is the reality of your life that you see clearly right now? Or perhaps what do you see? Do you see through a glass darkly that's starting to come into focus for you? In what ways does having your eyes on this cross bring your life into focus? And how is coming to the end of things tonight clarify that you see the truth and that God is calling you somewhere? What do you see and will you go there? So third, the third movement, which is union. For some who have brought to this point at the cross, they're being drawn because they're moving to the cross because they are tired of being alone. They are tired of being alone. Loneliness, distance they feel in their life from others are finally being brought to a close and they want love and intimacy. They see that when things are finished, they want to go to the place that they've been hungering for. When we make space of letting go and we see the reality around us, we're ready to be embraced. We're ready to find love and intimacy that we've hungered for. In the work that I do with young adults, both in the Pacific Northwest and also nationally through a research study I'm part of, we ask the question of young adults, what are they looking for in faith communities? We've asked this for five and a half years. We've collected so much data on this. And some really interesting things bubble up, but one of the things that bubbles up all the time is I want to know that I belong. It's one of the deepest hungers that they share. And I don't think this is just a young adult question. We all want to know that we matter. For young adults, they wanna know that they are missed if they are not there. That when they show up, somebody actually knows their name. That when they're there, they are glad just for who they are, not just because they happen to be young, right? Um, There's a sense of belonging that's so deep and abiding in people. And as we come out of COVID, as we move further and further into questions of hybrid learning and hybrid work, people are feeling more and more lonely more and more estranged, more and more apart from each other. And the cross calls us to remember that we can find union. We can break through that and find each other in this time. So another question. Perhaps you are coming to Good Friday tonight seeking union and belonging. What is that hunger in you right now? And how is God calling you into a new place that is beyond what has been and perhaps a new calling for healthy relationships, a new start, a risk for love, a risk for hope, 
and faith that you've held back on, but the Holy Spirit is nudging you, stirring you, something in you, equipping you to receive love and belonging and care in ways you haven't allowed yourself to feel. In a moment, we're gonna be preparing for communion. And as we prepare for communion tonight, I wanna stop and just kind of pause on this note. If you have work to do tonight with disappointment, with brokenness, with heartache, with a need to let go and lay something down, feel free tonight to come and do that first before we take communion, to kneel, to pray, to leave that at the foot of the cross, to write prayers in the books that our pastors will be reading over the course of the week, to ask God's heart and wholeness to fill you because there is something unexpected and wondered filled that's gonna come after finished. Joseph and Nicodemus believed so strongly in something that they couldn't fully embrace while Jesus was walking and talking in their midst, but now under this cross and in this graveyard, something is growing and they know it. Something is growing. And this is what Good Friday is about. Something's been planted, but we have no idea what's gonna come out of the soil yet. We just don't know. But this is the deep truth that we make space for and we wait for. And we trust and hope that something will arise. It's a real vision that in this untamed darkness of love of Good Friday, that God wants to meet us here tonight. It's a complete fulfillment of hope and love and faith that we're being called to. There are fragrances filling this space that once was a graveyard. But now with Nicodemus's gift and with Joseph's gift, that which was meant for death is more like a garden. And this tonight is a garden for you. If you choose to let the Holy Spirit cause you to grow, to bring things in fruition, you may have felt dead, but tonight come to the garden together. So as we turn to the table, feel free to come up as we begin to take communion together and as we sing and use this time for your preparation. One of my favorite songwriters, Towns Van Zant, made an amazing statement where he said, Jesus was an only son and love was his only concept. When Jesus gathered his friends together on the night for which he was betrayed, he showed love as being his only concept. Jesus took the bread and the wine, he put them before his friends and he separated them out from their common use. And he said, this is my body that has been given to you, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup, the common cup of the day, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for you. As you take this cup and take this bread, do so until I return. Friends, this is the body and blood of Christ for you for the renewing and feeding of your souls. As we prepare now this weekend to meet all that God has in store amidst our letting go, amidst our wondering about union and what our hope and illumination shows us of reality, come and see, come and taste of what God has in store for you. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask you take these elements of the blood and the, and the bread and you take them and separate them from their common uses. And you make this cup and this bread for us, your body and blood for us today. Meet us in this moment, we ask in your name. Amen. Our servers will be set up around here. You guys can just go ahead and come up. Um, as you go to your stations, go counterclockwise, which means come from the right 
and then move forward um, as we go through. The stations will be open for you. Please take the bread and the cup in your own prayerful moment. And then please also sing along and prayerfully meet God in this time together. Let us come to the table.